Welcome to the first episode of The Josh Fox Show. Today we're going to be talking with Ralph Sutton. Ralph is a really interesting guy who's most known for hosting the Tour Bush nationally syndicated radio show, which has guests from Ozzy Osbourne to Vince Neil to you name it in the rock world. He also hosts the SDR podcast with Big J Okerson, which has really started to generate some buzz among the podcasters. He's a super nice guy, and he was very patient with me as I am very new to this, and he kind of held my hand throughout the interview and just really showed what kind of a class act he is. Well, we're going to hit the ground running, and we're going to step right into the conversation where he is discussing his biggest crowd he's ever been in front of, which was at the Sturgis Bike Rally. I hope you enjoy it. So, I mean, the... uh the Sturgis Rally was just sheer chaos every year. I did it for five years at the Full Throttle Saloon, which now has a TV show called Full Throttle Saloon. And Jesse James Dupree, who is the singer of a band called Jackal, who's a good friend of mine, was the one who brought us out there before they got their TV show. But uh, that was just anarchy every year. I can't even tell you one crazy thing. I could make a list of 100. You know, sex <laughs> everywhere. You know, drunk people passed out. People driving their motorcycles full speed through a room full of people. You know, the the Full Throttle Saloon was actually modeled after the uh, bar in From Dusk Till Dawn. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. Oh, but, I love that film. So that was the, the concept behind that bar was to make it look like that. So that should just give you an idea of what it feels like to be there. When I was asked to host it, we're going back like 10 years. I did not know what the full, what the uh, Sturgis Rally was. You know, it just wasn't something I was a, I never rode a bike. I didn't know. So all I knew is Jesse said, hey, you want to come introduce us in South Dakota? And I said, yeah, if they're paying me and flying me out, why would I say no? Mm -hmm. And I just assumed, you know, Jackal's a band that's good for about a thousand people on a good day. Mm -hmm. So we fly into South Dakota. They pick me up. They take me through all these back roads. And I just assumed, yeah, that's, you know, we're in South Dakota. That's what it is. It's back roads. What did I know? You know, <laughs> then we go behind the venue and Jesse's waiting for me. He's like, come on, man, they're waiting for you. Just go out. And I walk out and there is about 40 to 50,000 people there. And I shit my pants. I didn't know <laughs> that, that, that the reason why we took the back roads is because all the main roads are so blocked up. And this was one of the two major venues out there. It was just news to me. I didn't know how big, you know, Sturgis Rally gets close to a million people every year. That was the craziest moment on stage. It really was. Holy moly, I couldn't imagine the feeling and the energy that must hit you at that yeah, point. It was nuts. That, those things, like you, I'm not a performer at all. You know, I can't sing for the life of me. I, I'm a crappy guitar player. I always tell bands, if you heard me play the guitar, you would take it away from me. <laughs> but um, that feeling of a rush when people, because people cheer. You walk out on stage, it doesn't matter who you are, they're going to cheer just because they think the show's starting. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I'm not delusional in thinking these people are cheering for me. But even so, you get this feeling, this rush, that holy crap, you know, you are in this moment right now. Oh, that sounds just fantastic. I, you see, I, and once again, like I said, I, I'm just going to be completely honest, so nervous. So my, my notes are, they're, they're pretty succinct, but I'm, I'm, some of this I'm going to have to edit out, of course, because it is just ridiculous how nervous I am. And thank oh, you for being so patient. Oh, holy. don't worry. Look, I... I I say this a lot. Like, I started in radio uh, totally on a lark, and nobody helped me along the way. Like, I had to figure everything out. 
There was dead air times. It was live radio, which was very different here. You could always say, okay, I'm going to stop this and re-edit this. But no one ever helped me. And I remember thinking to myself, if I ever make any sort of money or any sort of living off this, mm-hmm. I will not be that type of asshole to other people. So I always will take time. If someone asks me a question, someone wants to know how to do something, I will do my best effort to be there for that person. Well, I'm glad that someone was an asshole to you then so you can be a nice guy to me now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a real uh, thought of a silver lining kind of look at it. But that's <laughs> you got to look on the bright side. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do the intro like I had planned, but I once you said fifty thousand people, I just got completely thrown off track. I was like, holy moly! So my name is Josh Fox, and and we're here with Ralph Sutton, who hosts a nationally syndicated radio show called the Tour Bus. He is the co-host of the SDR show with Big J Okerson, SDR standing for Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll. And he is about to host a rock cruise called Ship Rocked. What makes Shiprock different than a regular cruise? Well, what it is really is a traveling rock and roll concert. Like, if you've ever gone to a rock festival, I'm dating myself by saying Lollapalooza mm. or Ozfest or any one of those, like, all-day events, this is that every day on a, on a ship of 4,000 people. And what's nice about that is when you go to a concert, the, the bands are backstage and you're in the front of the stage. You know, so you're watching and they're playing. But in this environment, it's enclosed. So when the band's done, they have nowhere else to go but be around you. So you're spending a week at sea with these people. You know, like I've told this story a couple of years ago. I played basketball with Buck Cherry and Seven Dust because we're just on the boat together. I was tanning with Vince Neal of Motley Crue because there's just nowhere to go. So they're stuck on the boat with you. That's what makes it more unique than anything else. It's the largest jail cell you could ever have for a celebrity. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, the truth is, though, as, as uh, in, you know, a lot of the uh, bands think it sounds awful because they don't want to be trapped, like you said, a jail cell. But after the first day, when everybody realizes, wow, these people are stuck on the boat with us, they don't get as fan excited, like, oh, my God, because when you see a band at a, at a venue, you think, I have 30 seconds to get this picture or to get this autograph, but when you're it's day one on a five day cruise, you're like, eh, they got nowhere to go. I'll see them later. You know what I mean? So it's far more casual. Yeah, that's a wonderful way to look at it because once the novelty wears off, people are going to get more comfortable, and and then you're you're just kind of going about the day as you normally would. Yeah, and that way it becomes far less intimidating. And then you know by the end of the trip, people, you know, I've seen it happen a million times where someone who was in awe of a band ends up becoming friends with that band by the end of the week. (laughs) And that has to be one of the biggest deals for them. Yeah, it really is. And they're all, you know, you don't come on this boat if you're an asshole band because you know (laughs) that this is going to be the case. You're going to be surrounded by fans all the time. So if you're an asshole, you might go on once, (laughs) but you're not going to come back again. So just whenever someone signs up for the cruise, just look for the band that was there last year also. Those are the nicest people on the ship. The, like the band Seven Dust, who's been on the boat four or five years in a row now, is because they are the most accessible band that I've ever seen. They are like at the end of the trip, you're like, oh, there goes Lejean. Oh, there's Lejean again. Oh, there goes Lejean. But the singer of Seven Dust, you just see him everywhere. And the whole band is there. Morgan, Clint, they're all there. And so they have become like the house band of Shiprock. <laughs> that is so fantastic. And it's so fantastic that they're so comfortable, you know, like you said, after a little bit of time. Yeah, it gets, it gets very, very relaxed. Also, 
we do a lot of fun events. For instance, right now, as you uh, called me, I'm making up the list of the drunk spelling bee words. <laughs> you know, words like fellatio or words like, you know, fornicate or diarrhea or syphilis. You know, I try to make it funny. Chlamydia. Chlamydia yeah, needs to be a word. It's so chlamydia. hard to spell, but it's so easy to catch. <laughs> it's in there, man. It is in there. <laughs> it's not that hard to get rid of. It's truly easy. It's not They're that big actually, a deal. Almost every one of my friends has had chlamydia. Yeah. <laughs> now, you started your pot, your your radio show out of your bedroom. I watched your episode of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, base, uh, also. <laughs> Did you see that recently? Was that is that online? Somewhere? I watched it on YouTube yesterday. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know it was still online. I got to look that up because I haven't seen that in so long. It was fantastic. One thing I got to ask: Do you still have the leather pants? Yes, I do. But unfortunately, <laughs> I'm fatter now. It's been a while. I don't fit in them as well as I used to. <laughs> that line sucker. He said it was stretched with your skin. He said <laughs> <laughs> that was. I tell you, that was a very unique moment. It's ten years ago now when I did that, and. uh they were extremely cool guys. It was the hottest show in the country at the time. And I've had what I would say, you know, there's A-list, B-list, and C-list celebrity status. I have a comfortably living in Q-list celebrity, <laughs> where I'm very far down on the list. Once in a blue moon, people recognize me. And that's fine. But when I did Queer Eye, for one year, I knew what it was like to be, I would say, a strong B-list celebrity, because I would get stopped constantly. It was such a popular show. Millions of people saw it, and they were running it maybe five times a week for a while. It, it was so the hit of the summer. Oh, it was crazy. It was, I had no idea it was going to be that huge. And I, would, I, got out of, I actually got out of two speeding tickets. I got tables at restaurants. <laughs> it was really crazy. I got laid so much, I can't even tell you. It all came from that show. So the, so the gay guys got you laid so much. That is, that is the ultimate way to stab them in the back. Oh, yeah, no, actually, it's funny. And I talked about this the other day. Um, I don't know how well you remember the show, but there was one guy on the show, the, the shorter one. I think his name was Jay. He was, like, the little one. The, the, small, uh, the small Hispanic guy. Yeah, the small Hispanic guy. He actually, I wouldn't say he flat out hit on me, but he told me off air how much I looked and reminded him of his ex-boyfriend, which Ooh. I think is a little hit on me-ish. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a little, that's a little... It's a little forward. It's just yeah. a little bit forward. So him and I only dated for six months. Okay. Well, at least you let him down easy, I'm sure. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> How did you book that show? Well, what happened was, it's just kind of strange. My old co-host of my radio show, uh, a girl by the name of Stacy, saw the first episode. Like, it was not popular yet. She just saw the first episode. She came into the studio for Tour Bus and said, I know a show that we got to get you on. And it's going to be a great, great promotional tool for the, for the tour bus. So I had no idea what it was. She told me it's called Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. In the studio that week, we downloaded the application. I tried to make it as funny as possible. We sent in the worst picture of me I could find. <laughs> we submitted it on a Sunday. They called me on that Tuesday. That is so wonderful that you, you basically, that, you know, your, your co-host lucked you into the show of the summer. Right. Not only that, you could see how miserable I must have looked that <laughs> told me two days later, like, Jesus Christ, we have to help this man. <laughs> this poor, poor boy. Yeah, this poor guy, you know, he's going to end up dying homeless, alone, crying in a fetal position. We need to help this guy. Oh, that is so wonderful. I, I hope you bought her a fruit basket. Yeah, she, I really, like, I thanked her tremendously because <laughs> she really did. 
I mean, that year, plus the, it, it did wonders for the, for the tour bus. That year, we signed like 20 stations the week after it aired. And it was, was that basically just from them seeing you on the show? Absolutely. We became like, everybody wanted to do interviews with me. All these rock stations wanted to do interviews. They're like, hey, look, I, I'd love to do an interview, but we're trying to do interviews first with just our affiliate stations, you know, like, because they're one. And then I was like, all right, well, we'll sign you up. You know, that was like, it was just really worked so well. It could not, I couldn't even, I can't even explain how crazy it was for that one year. That that's such a smart way to 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 phrase it that you you have to go through our affiliate networks first and then that way it creates a, a demand for you. Exactly. The funniest thing that happened though, you know, I was overwhelmed when it aired and I could not believe how many people like I was not getting I was getting stopped in the street. Cars were pulling over to take pictures. It, it was crazy. So I said, "You know what? I got to leave the city for a couple of days. I'm going to go visit my mom in Florida." Not thinking through that South Beach, Miami, like the gay capital of the world, it was 10 times worse out there. <laughs> so you got the exponential version of gay celebrity. Oh, yeah. I was the, I was the it guy for the gays for a couple months. <laughs> and plus, you had just gotten the makeover. You had all that going for you. They knew you, you, you had to smell good. I'm sure you judged your hair every day. Yeah, I did all that. I was, I was a prize. I was a prize for those men. Oh man! Luckily, you weren't wearing heels, or else I'm sure you would have had a tough, tough time. It's funny because I'm a very tall guy. I'm I'm six five, and um, very often when you ask a girl how tall she is, for some reason they always feel to throw in the their height and heels. So I'm five five, but I'm five eight in heels. It's like for some reason girls love to do that. So whenever a girl asks me how tall I am, I always say I'm six five, but I'm six nine in heels. <laughs> I'm 6'5", but I could play forward if I could run in heels. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. All right, I, I, I know we have a limited amount of time, so I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit. Go crazy. By the way, thanks for uh, having me on your inaugural episode. Oh, I am. I, I, I tell you, you, you pretty much are the catalyst for this whole thing because I had planned to do a podcast maybe a year ago, mm-hmm. and, and I got basically distracted by life and then when i saw you 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 send that offer out there and i was like you know what this guy seems really interesting he seems really really genuine he seems really nice this is the right guy to to start this off with and and i just really am very appreciative of you coming on the show well thank you although i don't think many people will agree with you that i'm either interesting or nice but thank you so much (laughs) you are humble though no one, no one can say that isn't true. The, okay, the the SDR podcast. I listened to a couple episodes, and that's for everything you heard. <laughs> I found it very entertaining. The um, one thing that I noticed is like all your guests seem to be in studio. Yeah, I will not do, and it's a weird thing, but so I've done my radio show forever, you know, and most of them are phoners. So far for the SDR show. I just am because it's a one hour conversation and it's three people, me, my co-host and whoever's coming in that week. The dynamic, I think, is too hard to pull off over a phone line. I just think it is. So I for that first year that we're on the air as Big J and I get to understand each other's rhythm. And I think it, this comes from my crazed radio background that I was for so years, you know, being beaten up about chemistry and, and pacing and, and topics and whatnot that I don't want that, like, off the beaten path or lose track of the 
of the goal of an interview for a full hour. And I think it'll happen with three personalities that aren't in the same room. I think eventually we'll get there, but right now it's only in studio. The, the one thing that, are you doing video also? We don't, we didn't do it yet. I've gotten some emails, people saying, you know, you get all these porn stars in the studio every week and all we get are a couple of crappy photos at the end of every show, which I understand, but um, I do think it'll happen down the road. Right now, you know, Big J is a far bigger and far more important person than I am. He's constantly, his, his uh, comedy album was in the top 10 of iTunes. He's on Comedy Central. He's, you know, he does a lot of stuff. I get one day a week where we have an hour together, which is those, that Monday that we tape. So it's just me and him, and he comes in for the hour. We try not, I know I do everything else in the back of the end. I do the, the website. I do the, the RSS feed, the, the, the network, the social networking. So there's only so much I can do in a week. And I think if we bring in a video element, it's going to be much more difficult to get that done. Complexity is the enemy of completion. It's absolutely true. That's why, you know, right now, and it is a podcast. Podcasting by nature is an, is an auditory forum. The, the only thing that I could think of that would maybe make that an easy transition is to, to just set up three cameras and have each one just doing a, a wide shot and then having a triple split screen instead of trying to edit it. Just have yeah. all three on one screen. But my feeling is, Josh, to be honest with you, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it right. Like, I'm, I'm still not even happy with the audio of our show yet. You know, it's still pretty new. We've only been at it six months. I know that I needed some more production pieces. I'd like to get a soundboard in here, you know, things like that. But right now, the, the biggest, the biggest uh, hurdle has been booking guests consistently because it has to be in New York on a Monday. So we've been incrementally moving towards where it makes me happy. I still think it's good. It's just not great yet. I thought it was really entertaining. The, uh, I, the one I listened to was the uh, Tom Soder. Oh, Dan Soder. Yeah, Dan, Dan Soder. Soder. Yeah, he's hilarious. He he and Jay are friends forever. He's one of the funniest guys I've ever met. Him and Jay have a great chemistry. I was really just trying to keep up with those two. I mean, they are I don't need, I don't think I needed to be in the room that day. It just is uh they're so good together. But it was it was a really fun episode. That one went a little long because it went that hour and change went by so fast I can't even tell you. And the other one that I that I listened to uh yesterday was the Heather Pink. So that was probably the most unique episode ever because, A, I mean, I don't know if listeners haven't heard, by the way, it is thesdrshow.com, Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll, so it gets a little crazy. A, we find out she's a squirter, okay, which if those of you that don't know what that means, it involves a woman's lower parts producing fluid at a uh, propulsionary rate that shoots out of her vagina, for lack of better words. And she said she could make herself do that pretty quickly. So we sat her on the couch. We put a cup about four feet from her. And she was <laughs> able to pull off her pants, pull off her panties, make herself squirt, and get it into the cup, <laughs> which is pretty crazy. And then she was drunk. And we kind of talked her into having a threesome with Jay and his girlfriend. And the only reason why it didn't happen, we all went to this nightclub where his girlfriend is a manager, basically for the three of them to have sex. But she got so drunk, Heather, that she started, like, slurring her words and, oh. like, dribbling, like, beyond drunk, like, not comfortable. So we just put her in a car and sent her home. 
I do think it will happen, but just it didn't happen that week. <laughs> she seemed like it's such a nice girl, too. Yeah, nothing like a sweet, <laughs> uh, a porn star with a heart of gold. <laughs> and you, you've got to do a, like a, a like a play by play of that at some point. Just yeah, I <laughs> wanted to get them in the studio. Like if they, that thought was, if this threesome happens tonight, you all have to come back next week. That was the plan. Oh yes, but that, it just didn't happen. That would be just fantastic. Okay. These are some some rapid fire questions. Shoot. Not so rapid, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Who's the first person you think of when you hear the word punchable? Punchable. Wow. God, so many names rush to my head right now. <laughs> God, I would say, I would, see, I can't pick a chick because that would be uh, really rude of me to pick a chick. Um, wow. I'm trying to, I'm thinking of a, of a P. You know what? I'm just going to go with my first instincts right now because. Uh, I don't want to really overthink it. And it's not a celebrity. That's a problem. But it's a friend of mine. Okay. And I'll say his name. We talk about it on the podcast next week. His name's Brian. And he did something I think is really scummy, which is he constantly hits on girls that I introduce him to. A girl that I'm dating, a girl my brother's dating. He'll meet us out somewhere. Then I find that he adds them on Facebook. And then he, like, stalks them. And one girl, uh, a friend, a girl my brother used to date, posted, oh, I'm in Manhattan and I'm lonely tonight. So he pounces and says, let me take you to dinner. I'll, I'll pick you up. Blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, he sleeps with the girl. And to me, I just think there's enough chicks in the universe that you don't need to only hit on girls I dated or girls my brother dated. <laughs> it's weird. That sounds very punchable. It's so punchable. I'll tell you this story, and I think I talk about it next week on, on, on uh, the SDR show. But this is an example that I was like, oh, my God, dude, what, what the fuck is wrong with you? So last New Year's, I met this gorgeous girl on Shiprocked, really beautiful, like one of those promotional girls that are just paid to look pretty, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, we decide we're going to meet in New York because she was coming to New York for the holidays. She comes in. Her and I go out for drinks. She posts on Facebook, having drinks with Ralph. My friend Brian is friends with her on Facebook, friends with, well, not following her on Facebook and friends with me, immediately texts me and says, hey, where are you guys at? I'd love to come for a drink. And I text back, um, I'm on a date. What are you talking about? And he says, oh, I tried adding her a few times on Facebook. She never accepted my friend request. And I messaged her and she never replied. I'd love to come say hello. <laughs> I'm like, dude, what the fuck is wrong with you? She's telling you that she doesn't want anything to do with you. Why would you do that? And he's like, oh, I just think I'm nearby. I said, no, we're leaving. I said, plus, she's coming with me on New Year's Eve for dinner. You can meet her then. You know, like 20 of us were going to dinner. You'll meet her then. The next day, he messages her on Facebook and says, hey, I hear we're going to be sitting next to each other for New Year's <laughs> Eve. Can't wait to talk to you. She canceled on me. <laughs> That is They're, so punchable. That is the most punchable person on the planet right now. <laughs> you really should just go punch him on principle. Yeah, I mean, it's just, and also to any dude listening to this right now, you, your girl's dude, your, you know, your dude's girls, rather, they're off the market. Even when they break up, they're off the market. There's enough women in the world. Okay, here's a, another rapid-fire question that's honestly not so rapid because I'm so nervous. If you can make a phone call to the 20-year-old version of yourself, what would you tell him? 
uh, definitely do not get into radio. That's what I would tell them. Because <laughs> it was a long, arduous. Actually, no. Number one would be don't do strip club DJing. That was a rough one. <laughs> I did that for 10 years. I mean, the highlight, of course, is you get laid like you wouldn't believe. But it was a long time of, you know, what I, the term I used was golden handcuffs. Because you make really good money, and you got gorgeous girls around you all the time. But it goes nowhere. There's no upward mobility. Nobody takes you seriously. So for years, I, I say I wasted like a good eight-year segment of my life because I just was resting on the laurels of knowing good money's coming in, beautiful girls are around. What do I need to do? You know what I mean? And I got delusional in what it takes to make a living because you make great, at least back then, I made great money for minimal effort. So that would be my number one. Do not get into that business. Okay, strip club DJing. What was the song that you used to pump up the crowd? Well, we had when I was worked at this very high end club. It was called uh, Pure Platinum, and we had to, by law, every hour on the hour, play Girls, Girls, Girls. <laughs> it's a little to me, it's a little obvious, but uh, that was the one. That was the one we had to play every hour on the hour. Okay, what's the craziest thing that happened during Girls, Girls, Girls? Oh, during the song? Yeah, or at the strip club. During the song. During the song, you know, what would happen is we had to do this thing where uh, the, the song would play and all the girls would have to get up on stage and walk around the club. And I would introduce, here we go, ladies and gentlemen, Susan, Andrea, Amber, Tiffany, like just naming them as they came across the stage. And these two girls, picture a room full of maybe three, 400 people, 50 girls walking across stage, just as they both kind of come right to the main stage, one tripped up the other and they got on a full-on brawl on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> that's so wonderful <laughs> I, tried to, I tried to play it off like all right ladies and gentlemen tonight we got foxy boxing as a special and you know just trying to make it something and then the, you know the the uh, uh bouncers came in and broke it up but it was a uh, purely just a full-on chaos for about 45 seconds what was the craziest thing that happened in the strip club period then well i've I actually told the story, so I apologize to your listeners that have, have heard this but on, on my show, but um, it's such a ridiculous story that it bears repeating, which is I would come in every night uh, about an hour before my shift, and you go into the, to the back room to see who's there for the night. You know, it's called, just like setting up your rotation, making a list of the girls that are there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I walk in, and a Spanish girl is arguing with a Polish girl. They're having a huge argument. And I, they're, they're both, you know, in G strings. And there's the, the uh, like, a, a, we call her a house mom, which is like the den mother in the back dressing room that makes sure nobody steals anything and whatnot. And all I could piece together is the, the Polish girl saying that the Spanish girl stole $300 from her. That's what I heard. Right? So then I walk in. Does I the Polish girl have, like, a strong accent? They both have super strong accents. Oh, lovely. So, and uh, it's really, it's hilarious to watch. And they checked this, this the Polish girl had been there for about a year, the Spanish girl, like maybe a week. So they tended to believe the Polish girl, mm -hmm. but they go through her G-string, her, her pocketbook, her purse, her, her locker, nowhere to be found. Right. <laughs> then the house mom says to the Spanish girl, I'm pretty sure I know where you have it. <laughs> Spanish girl drops down her G-string and says, go ahead and check me. The house mom, who's about 55, 60 years old at that point, former burlesque dancer, takes her hand, puts it in the girl's cooter, and pulls out 
three wrapped $100 bills in like a circle, you know, like a little spherical thing, and puts it on the floor, right? <laughs> they drag the Spanish girl out of the club, and then my favorite moment of all is the Polish girl just takes that money that's been inside that girl's scooter off the floor, doesn't wash it, doesn't do anything, just puts it in her purse and walks out. And I always said it went straight from one box to another. <laughs> And that's a good reason why she. I only use credit cards. Stuff like that. It's disgusting. Yeah. Exactly. You never know where your money's been. <laughs> I, I think I do know. And it was a Spanish uh, prostitute. Wait, <laughs> I shouldn't have said prostitute. Spanish uh, stripper. <laughs> See, I'm just so gosh darn nervous. And I'm gonna. Well, I'm gonna hey, stop hey, saying nervous too. I'm huh? gonna give you a word of advice. Okay. Yeah. So I've been in this business for a very long time in one shape or another, mm-hmm. and. Anytime you start in a new radio station or you're starting a new podcast, for your example, or when I was starting at a new strip club, I always went in with this mentality. I am going to fuck up. There is no way I'm not going to fuck up. But I'm relatively smart. I'm relatively good at this. I'll get better. It's going to suck in the beginning. But just go in knowing that. Admit it to yourself. It ain't going to be perfect. You're going to fuck up. You're going to get better. That's it. That that is wonderful advice. I I really appreciate that. The yeah, that is. I had to let that kind of sink in just a little yeah, bit. Really, I mean, I think people get so nervous that they want their show to be perfect. You know, they want their show to sound great. And this, that, but like even my show, like we all have varying levels of what makes us happy in a show. I am not happy with my show, but instead of working on it for hours on end to make it perfect. And then put it up six months from now when I have all the production worked out and all the extras worked out. It's a work in progress. It'll get better. And then it's actually cool to go back and listen to your first few shows and how much it's changed in the year or two or three that you're on the air. And just to to witness the progression in an accelerated format. Exactly. Because if you are so overly analyzing every episode, you're never going to be able to do that. Wonderful advice. The um, and you basically I, I, on that the episode of the queer eye thing. I saw where you were doing the radio show and you were booking everything out of your bedroom. Right. Which now, by the way, you know, back then it was so bizarre. Now I have a home studio. I do everything from my house. If I told you the celebrities that sat in this apartment, you know, from Zach Wild and Megadeth and Thin Lizzy, they've all been here. You know, just because. It's the state of radio these days. I don't go to a station. For the tour bus, we tape on the weekends, me and my co-host, Melissa, and then it just goes out from here to all of our affiliates around the country. And the podcast, same thing. Jay comes here, the guests come here, and we do it here. It's, you know, these days, it's almost expected most people have home studios. It, it, it really has revolutionized everything as, as the, um, the prices, uh, the barrier for entry has become so low. Yeah, I got news for you, too. Like, every serious XM DJ, I'd say 70% of them, not the talk guys, but, like, all the, the music jocks, they all do it from home. They do. They break down the entire week in one day, and it just goes out to make it sound like they're in studio all week. They ain't in studio. Trust me. <laughs> that's, that's, that's really intriguing. The, so you were booking guests out of your bedroom, and this is before the DIY, like you said. What was the first big guest that you had? Well, first, I'll tell you a very funny story. Um, there's a comedian. I'm sure you, you, maybe you've heard of him. His name is Craig Gass. 
Mm-hmm. And he's known for doing the Gene Simmons voice. That's like his, he is the one that created that on Howard Stern when the Gene Simmons voice became so popular because he has such an interesting uh, affectation of his speech. And um, he would call me all the time as Gene, as Adam <laughs> Sandler, as uh, Christopher Walken. That was just his thing. You know, he'd call me as, hello, Ralph, it's uh, Gene Simmons. Yeah, I can't do it, but anyway. And I would screw with him all the time. So I get a call from him one day as Gene, and he says, hey, I'm just calling to say hello. I'm like, hey, how are you, man? And he's like, good. We're, uh, whatever. I said, how the, how the fuck is things going? There's not, like, really, <laughs> I was being crass, right? <laughs> yeah. 30 seconds in, I realized it's Gene Simmons, and he's calling me to confirm <laughs> that he's going to be doing the radio show in, like, two weeks. He just wanted to make sure that everything was set up for it. <laughs> and uh, long story short, I felt embarrassed because Gene was, I mean, Craig's impression was like not super popular yet. He had not done it on Howard yet. So me saying, hey, my friend calls me and pretends to be you sometimes sounded bizarre and insane to me. So I just tried to backpedal and like, all right, man, well, we'll see you on the on the show, blah, blah, blah. He never showed up on the show and we've never had him back on the show. That was like eight years ago. We've had every other member on, but we've never had him on. You might have to switch your punchable answer. <laughs> <laughs> Has there ever been a guest that made you uncomfortable? Um, well, one thing that happened years ago, um, and he apologized after. Oh, I'll tell, there's two stories. One, the, the, the probably the most popular one that I've talked about. Uh, there's a very uh, well-known band. Sadly, the singer is dead now, but it was typo negative. And the singer's name is Pete Steele. He's like me in that he's 6'5", long, dark hair. He's bigger than me. I'm a relatively big guy, like 250, but he's probably, when he was uh, alive, probably like 350, but like bulky, not fat, just a big guy. And we had been friends for years. He lived 10 blocks from me in in Brooklyn, and we knew each other. And he came in one night just to kind of hang out and co-host and got super, super drunk. And I think he was on something else, too. Out of nowhere, stood up, threw his headphones at me, and wanted to fight. I don't remember what I said that set him off, but we're li- this is when I was live on radio. This is live in a studio, no delay. It's just happening. And there was like 20 fans out in the uh, waiting area all watching this through the glass. My interns are scared shitless. I'm scared shitless. I'm not a fighter. And I'm like, this is going to get either going to be really bad or it's going to, even if it is, it's going to be the best radio ever, you know, because I'm going to get my ass kicked by Pete Steele live on radio. This will make me famous, you know? And all I said to him was, dude, you really want to go down like this in front of all your fans out there? Why don't you go talk to them? And he looks outside and he calms down and he goes out there and he's there for about 20 minutes. Then he came back in the studio and cried on the air and apologized for overreacting. It was one of the coolest nights ever. Wow. What a strange transition. Yeah, I think he was on something, you know? Ah. You know, he cleaned up his act. And then he sadly passed away, but he was actually, I really like that dude. He was an extremely cool, smart guy, and uh, that band was incredible. Yeah, you, you can't, you can't dis, dissuade anything that they've done because it's just such fantastic music. Okay, the best advice you've ever received. Best advice I've ever received. Uh, does it have to be in the uh, entertainment field or? Just in general. What would I say? Oh, I'll tell you, this is uh, a funny thing that someone told me a long time ago. It was a guy, this is before I ever had a threesome, right? Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that I think most men that are single 
love, and most men that have a wife pretend to hate, but I secretly would love to do, is have a threesome with two hot chicks. And I remember this guy said to me, this is when I was younger, I had never done it yet. He said, look, man, he was a, fa- a friend of my father's, actually, like a dirty, a dirty uncle type. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he said to me, look, man, if you ever have two chicks in your bedroom, one's your girlfriend, one's another girl, pretend the other girl's not there, or you'll never get another threesome. <laughs> I'm like, all right. And I just, at the time, forgot about it. But then that first time I had a threesome, I acted like the extra girl was, oh, she's there for you, honey, not for me. And it's why I think I've been so successful with having threesomes. <laughs> well, it's good that you have success in, in all arenas of life. Yeah, well, that to me, I, I know my, my co-host, Jay, on SDR will say that I'm a little too, I think it's because I'm still single and no kids at this point in my life, that I tend to focus on those things that make you happy. I always say there's basically four S's that without any one of these S's, you will not be happy. And that is sleep, sex, shitting, and sustenance. Without those four things, you will not be happy. Superb. (laughs) (laughs) The superb five. (laughs) The superb five S's. Or you could say the six S's. Six S's. Look at that. Look Mm -hmm. at you. You're you're quite the wordsmith. (laughs) (laughs) I just had to not do a word there. I don't know why. I watched too much Larry David. Oh, you know, I'm going to see his um, his Broadway show. I'm very excited about it. Oh, it, you know what? I saw that thing on Facebook, and I am just dying to go see that. But I'm nowhere near New York right now. One of my very good friends for, Jesus, 25, 30 years, 20 years, maybe 25, is the girl who plays Susie Green on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Her name oh. is Susie Esman. She's been one of my family friends since I'm a child. I was just texting with her uh, a couple days ago. Oh, man. That show is the only show that I've watched every season, and I refuse to watch the last three episodes just because I don't want it to end. Yeah, well, there's still a chance. Susie told me that he may have one more season in him. He wanted to get this Broadway show uh, off his head, like he wrote it and wanted to do it. So I think is a shot that next year they might film another another season. Oh, you just made my day. You absolutely made my day, Ralph. <laughs> because <laughs> i because now i'm going to sit down and i'm going to watch those three episodes and if it doesn't if they don't yeah. make another one you know where to find me i'm going to blame you <laughs> it's going to be a giant smear campaign i'm going to hire nigerians to ruin your twitter you say that son of a bitch ralph Sutton <laughs> told me one of the things that, that that i learned about you is that you were wanted for computer hacking by the fbi yeah. It's kind of ridiculous. So when I was uh, <clears throat> when I was very young, I was into breakdancing, and I was a very acclaimed white breakdancer in Brooklyn. My brother and I and a few other white kids were called the Mighty Whiteies, and we were the only white kids that were allowed to breakdance <laughs> with the black and Spanish kids. And I ended up being briefly in a movie called Crush Groove, although most of the scene got cut. But anyway, I made a very bizarre transition into computers. What happened was I had seen something about computers and just felt like, wow, this is going to be something like this is the next big thing. So we left all our hoodlum friends behind. We bought a computer and I just started learning how to like change code and do things like that. And what we would do is stupid things like changing grades or lowering our phone bill, like stupid <laughs> things, you know, that you could get away with. This is pre-internet. This is how old I am. It's pre-internet is when you had to dial up to us, you know, you had a dial up and you'd call a, a certain one place type of thing. 
And one of the other things we do is we would change our phone bill. Like, and we would conference call people. And I had just graduated uh, junior, you know, ninth, eighth grade. And now it's in like my second or third year of high school. And I missed all my old friends. So we started conferencing them in way before conference calling even was something. And it was like, it would cost thousands of dollars to do that, to conference in 15 people, but we would just charge it to like government buildings or whatever. And it didn't matter. You know, we, you're young and stupid. Somehow, I always say this, we didn't get caught. Somebody else got caught <laughs> and said, oh, if you really want somebody, you got to go after these guys. And they ratted out my brother and I. But we were 15, <laughs> 16. You know, we weren't really doing anything awful. So my father got us a lawyer. We had to go, you know, the FBI came to my house with a badge at the door. May I speak to the parents of Ralph Sutton and Joe Sutton? And we were supposed to be like a $300,000 fine, three years in juvenile hall. It was, it was scary as shit. But my father got us a good lawyer and we got off and I just got, you know, scared shitless for a very long time. That, that would scare the shit out of, I think, most S's. Yeah, that would be another S. That would <laughs> the, um, you know what the the thing that really because you 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 you're so succinct and you're so smooth how do you approach a new interview well i'll tell you it's funny uh that's asked to me a lot and i do not like people that over prepare mm-hmm. i think that if you have your questions and only your questions people will interview someone and not even l- listen to the answer a story i've told a while back, I, I used to, uh, I had to interview Ozzy Osbourne. This is about, I don't know, like six years ago now, five, six years ago. And the way it worked was they had an hour with Ozzy. So they invited like six of us in. We each got 10 minutes. So to make it fast, Ozzy was sitting in a chair. All six of us were sitting in a room. And one at a time would go, you interview Ozzy. Now you're, and they didn't want to stop the tape. They didn't want any commotion, so all of us just stayed there for the hour, okay? So whoever went first, even though you were done, you were in for the hour because they didn't want any background noise, any problems. Interview, interview, interview. That's how it went. Mm-hmm. It was when his book came out. So I went in. There, no one wants to go first. Of course, I don't give a shit. I'll go first. I do the interview. It was pretty funny. I made him laugh. I'll never forget the line where he said in his book that when he first came to New York, he didn't know, and it's, a, it's kind of an old joke, but he didn't know that uh, fag meant gay. You know, in, in England, fag <laughs> is cigarettes. Yeah. So he said, you know, can I get a pack of fags? And the guy at the store said, get out of here, you, you fucking asshole, and kicked him out of the store, you know? And I said, well, Ozzy, if you were in the West Village, they probably could have accommodated you, you know? <laughs> and it made him laugh. And um, when we were done... The next guy came in, and he was a, a younger guy. Uh, like, I think he might have been a college radio guy. I'm not really sure. But he had his six questions in a paper, 10 questions paper, shaking and, like, asking the question. Ozzy answered. He didn't even listen to the answer, just went on to the next question. And his, his answer should have gone somewhere else. You know what I mean? Like, he was leading the interviewer into something. And he didn't listen. He just went, okay, and uh, tell me about. So after the second question, Ozzy looked up and goes, can we bring the last guy back? <laughs> and it made the whole room laugh, including the guy that was there. Put him at ease, actually, because it just he realized you just need to loosen up a little bit. So I would say go in knowing some basic facts about the person you're going to interview, mm-hmm. but don't overthink it. Maybe have an opening question and make a list of the bullet points you know you want to hit. 
But that's it. Don't do anything more than that because it's going to sound too prepped and it's not going to sound natural. Thank you. Thank you a lot. The, um, sometimes I have to let things kind of sink in for me. And I suppose those would be the points where I get to experience editing. Yeah, that's fine. And you know, even so, you know, you could be, your name of your podcast could be like the dramatic pause guy. And that's just what you do. <laughs> if you saw how silly my face was, you'd realize I was a silly face guy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, what is the name of your podcast, by the way? To be totally honest, I, I decided to do this podcast the, the three days ago whenever you posted the thing. Mm -hmm. um, right now, I'm actually thinking genuine. Okay genuine people because what I'm what the the goal is is that I want people to actually get to know someone who does something that's out of the ordinary like you hosting the, the you know a nationally syndicated rock show and and you know doing the podcast with uh with Jay Okerson those things aren't aren't in the norm right. and so to be able to teach people about that it really intrigues me because I'm completely convinced that the more I help people, the more success I have. Well, that's a beautiful way to look at life, man. What can I tell you? It's, you know, I'm, I'm holding out. You know, I haven't turned into Larry David yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because I, I just bought those tickets. And such a, since you're a fan of Larry, I think you'd appreciate this. It's such a Larry David thing. When I bought the tickets... As soon as I bought them, the, the ticket master person goes, okay, sir, I'm sorry, this is not the norm, but I have to read this as per the show. Then <laughs> okay, the show starts at 7.30. You will not be admitted at 7.31. If you're late, that's it. It's a limited run. You lost your money. You're not getting your tickets back. I'm like, that is so Larry David. <laughs> oh, God, I, I regret the first person that has a cell phone that isn't on silent. Oh, my God, it's going to be chaos in and then I heard a great joke uh, from Susie, Susie Essman, who I uh, told recently, which was that they all used to do comedy together, you know, but growing and coming up in the, uh, in the ranks here in New York. And Larry was on stage and a guy screams out to him because Larry would bomb a lot as a comedian. They all said that if anyone was going to be homeless, they all thought it was going to be Larry, you know. And uh, he's on stage. He would get into fights with stage, with, uh, from stage to people all the time. And he said on stage, someone screamed out at him, my dog has sex with your mother, right? <laughs> and Larry's response, which I think is so Larry, goes, I bet the dog doesn't enjoy it. <laughs> One last question. How do you, how do you, you, you book guests? That's been the bane of my existence, to be honest with you, because we're so limited to Mondays only. In New York, so it's been extremely difficult. I'll give you an example. I had Guns N' Roses. They wanted to come do the show. Oh. Guns N' Roses. But they could only do it on a Thursday, and Jay couldn't do it. So I couldn't do it. I mean, that's just, it's been, that's been the most difficult thing, you know, is booking guests. Fortunately, because of my radio show, I have a lot of contacts. So I've been able to reach out and call in favors. But I'm very worried because I think in about two months, I'm going to be exhausted all of my contacts. <laughs> so I'm starting to freak out about it. I'm hoping that we get to a point where we're big enough to where people start coming to us. It hasn't happened yet, but I'm hoping it does. But a couple of our biggest guests 
happened by me emailing out of the out of cold blue, you know, just emailing cold. Anthony Cumia, you know, he knew who Big J was, but he don't Big J had only been on a show once, and I just cold emailed him after the Twitter fiasco with a basic "You don't know me, but blah blah blah." And the next thing you know, we got Anthony Cumia on our show right after the Twitter fiasco. Oh, that is that is what a get. I, I missed one that one. Taylor Chandler, Holy who just got all over the news about dating Michael Phelps. You know, uh, she's a hermaphrodite, or they don't use that term anymore, but born with a penis, and she was dating Michael Phelps. All over the news, through a couple of, like, lucky emails, she came on the show. So basically, you're just outworking people, and, and you're, you're putting yourself out there. And the other thing I do a lot that I would recommend, start a Twitter account, call out people on Twitter. Hey, blah, blah, blah. When you're in New York, come do the show. Wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful advice. Ralph, I know you've got to go, and, and I just want to let you know, man, I am so appreciative of, of you doing this and, and giving me some of this advice, and, and for goodness sake, for being so gosh darn patient. Oh, please, don't worry, man. Look, we've all started at some point, and I think people tend to forget that, but, you know, look, I'm nowhere near as big or important as you might think I am, but, uh, you know, thank you so much for having me on your first episode, man. All right, Ralph. We'll talk to you later, man.